Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. I'm going to begin reading after verse 13. I'll be speaking on the subject, Night of Accounting. Night of Accounting, verse 12 and verse 13. One of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? For I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich for God. Let us pray. Our Father, we realize that all of us will give an accounting of our lives. Many of us have already faced that issue and have settled it with you. Some of this congregation may not have done that, have made decisions about their future, and have given an accounting of the past. Whatever the needs are in every heart this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would touch us all with the power of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I thought it was quite interesting when I opened up the bulletin last night which I always do to see what Sheila has done with the bulletin, to discover that she picked up well on the message this morning and put down at the bottom of the page Romans 14, verses 11 and 12, which is the text. And I intended to read that as the text this morning. She printed it. Notice what it says. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That is a dynamic two verses. This is a quote in the first part 
God himself. As I live, saith the Lord, the Lord said, Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And then Paul <coughs> comes back with the statement, So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Nobody is going to escape the accounting. Nobody. We all will someday bow our knees in front of Jesus Christ. We may never bow our knee on earth to him, but the day will come when we shall. No escape. All will confess at that point. With his mouth. Every person will confess to God. Paul says, therefore, so then. Every one of us will give an account of himself. We are all called to accounting in lots of ways. Last April 15th, we were all called to account for our income for the last year. And we know that the deadline was postmarked by midnight this past year, April the 16th, because the 15th was on Sunday. An accounting had to be made. Once a year, the people that work for me, that I supervise, must come before me, and I must discuss with them their previous year's work they must account to me for what they did. And that accounting determines what they're going to get out of the next year, whether I recommend them for a raise or a demotion. And I go through the same thing as I must go before my boss and do the same. But sometimes it seems that since the day of accounting for us spiritually before God is so far off that we can simply ignore it. I want to say three things this morning about accountability. Number one, we are accountable for our life's 
priorities. Number two, we are accountable for life's blessings. And thirdly, we are accountable for life's decisions. We're accountable. The story before us says that there was a man in the, in the crowd, in the group, to whom Jesus was speaking, that simply blurted out to him, Lord, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. There had been nothing in Jesus' conversation about an inheritance. But he wasn't listening to what Jesus had to say. He was waiting for an opportunity to ask Jesus to make his brother divide his father's goods the way he thought it ought to be divided. Make him divide the inheritance. You know, there are more family squabbles that take place after the death of a member of the family than any other time. And it's over who's going to get what that's left over. Many families have been totally devastated by this effort for everybody to get what he or she wants of the inheritance. That even happens when there is a will. I, I think maybe we look at leaving an inheritance to others entirely wrong. I'm not at all convinced that it is right for a mother and father, or either or, to leave their worldly goods to their children. It may very well be the wrong thing entirely to do. It seems like our parents and us live to leave something to somebody else. And you've heard it said many times that as soon as he or she gets his or her hands on the money, it is going to be squandered. And basically, there is a good thought behind that in that that which we don't work for doesn't have too much value to us except for pleasure. There are many people who are now beginning to leave their inheritance as an endowment to some church or religious organization. The West Virginia Baptist Convention manages the estates, the endowments from those estates that goes to particular churches. And that church does not use the principle that receives the interest. I think more people ought to consider endowing the church with what is left at their death and allow the church to be uh, perpetuated 
by the interest off of that endowment so that it could remain there nearly indefinitely, probably indefinitely. But here's the problem. The extent of this man's interest reveals his priorities. What did he consider the most important thing in his life? In the same chapter of Luke, in verse 34, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you consider the most valuable possession will claim your interests, your time, your money, and it will become number one. How we spend that which we have, our money, how we utilize our time, how we make use of our talent reveals our priorities. I thought it was interesting that Brother Hudson this week made a statement that he never knew anybody to go on strike for more money so that they could give it to the church. That's a pretty good statement. I have never known anybody in all my years of being a supervisor to come and ask me for a raise because the church was in need. And come to think of it, I don't believe I ever used that as one of my reasons for asking for a raise. Have you? What are our priorities? The attention that we give to a matter determines our priorities. We will, we will find time to do what we want to do. We will. There is no other way. Our interests will take our time and we will give it willingly. So when people say, I'm sorry, I don't have time, you can immediately peg that point is not a priority in that person's life. What is your heart's desire? What do you want? What do I want? of life. Somebody, and many people, would say, well, I'd just like to have more money than I have. Well, let's suppose that this morning somebody came through the back doors and asked for a little time and said, I have an urgent message for you. You just have an uncle that you never knew about die in California. He left you a million dollars. 
I want to ask you something. Would you concentrate on the message the rest of the morning? Or would you be making plans to fly to California to pick it up? Yes, we'd like to have the money, but do you know that sometimes money turns people into being the most selfish, stuck-up, egotistical, greedy individual that there could be? Money is the ruination of multitudes of people, and it doesn't have to be a million dollars. Money will cause people to set priorities on something else besides the church. Besides God's service. Money will dictate that extended vacations must be taken. That there must be new automobiles and new homes and better clothing and on and on we can go to discover that our priorities are centered upon what we can physically obtain for ourselves, for self-gratification. And it has nothing to do with God's service. And this was the problem that this man had. He was not interested in listening to the sermon that Jesus was preaching. He wasn't interested in giving to the church he was interested in obtaining in order that he might satisfy his own personal gratifications, that he might take care of life's priorities as he saw those priorities to be. Whether or not those priorities were within God's will and not in his mind. We are responsible for establishing priorities in relationship to God's priorities. And he does not give us liberty to establish something different than he has already established. Secondly, we are accountable for life's blessings. You've heard it said, be careful what you pray for, or you might get it. And that's a pretty good statement. Because you know that if you get it, you are accountable for it. Now the 16th verse says that the ground in the parable that Jesus told, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. The rich man had everything he wanted. It seemed like everything he touched turned to wealth. There are people seemingly like that. He got everything. He was a self-made man, he thought. He would have said, I planted and I harvested. But listen, what do you own this morning? How much money do you have in the bank? How fine are the homes and the automobiles and the clothes we all have? I want to suggest to you that we have what we have because of God and not because of self. 
James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father. Everything we own, we have received from God. Now, in the 48th verse of this same chapter of Luke, Jesus is speaking. He says this, Unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. I think we need to look at that more carefully. If we do not want to be accountable, we better hope we don't get much. Because the more we have, the more accountable we are. The person with a hundred dollars is one hundred times more accountable than the person with one dollar. God does bless plentifully to his children. But he also does require an accounting for the blessings that we receive. Now, look at verse 17 and 18. He, that is the rich man, thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no more room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. I want you to notice that the words I, my, and mine are the three prominent words in those two verses. It is what I did, what I have, what I must do. It is my goods. I know what I'm going to do. I am going to build bigger barns so that I can put my fruits in my barn. And this is the attitude of great numbers of people in dealing with God's blessing is that they do not consider it God's blessing. They think it is a, a self-achieved accomplishment. It's mine. I did it. Mine. Do not realize or acknowledge that every good gift comes from the Father. Verse 19, he questions his soul, himself, saying, I will say to my soul, Soul, you've got so much laid up for years to come. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I've never seen a bumper sticker one time uh, on the back of a camper, and it, uh, it said, uh, we're spending our children's inheritance. Uh, I know that, that's pretty good. I, I think I'm going to do that. 
There's nothing wrong with enjoying life, and God certainly would, would bless it. The problem comes when one does not have a good appreciation of what he is able to enjoy. You have a position. You have a responsibility to God for that position. Those of you who teach school, do you consider any possibility that you're responsible to God for that position? Those of you who do whatever you do, in the coal mines, in the stores, Any responsibility to God for this position? Many of us have an education. All of us have some education. Is there any responsibility to God for what we have in our education? Some of us are influential. You have an influence over somebody. Do you have a responsibility in that case? Paul said, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. I think a proper translation is recognize that every blessing you have, every benefit has come from God and you're responsible back to God for it. Then thirdly, we're accountable for life's decisions. Now look at verse 20 and 21. God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? And so it is, or so is he, that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. One of the greatest tragedies of life are those who lay up for old age on earth and have never put a dime in heaven for eternity. I suppose there are a few of us this morning that might have made some kind of plans for retirement, and we certainly ought. There ought to be a certain amount of financial security that we provide for our old age a home and all the things that go with it. That is simply reasonable and good planning and it ought to be done. But the real tragedy is that there are many people and maybe some of you this morning that have never made any preparation for eternity. Decisions have all dealt with the here and now you will be accountable, as will I, before God for the decisions we make. What we're going to do with what we have. And the man said, you're a fool. That's the Lord talking. The Lord said, you're a fool. You're going to lay up here on earth. You're going to have a bank account. You're going to have fine homes all of those things, and your soul is in poverty. You have laid up 
all these years for retirement, and you don't know, but before the night's over, your soul is going to be required. It doesn't make much difference what we leave behind here. It makes a lot of difference about what decisions were made for eternity. We're always at a crossroads. We come to a point in life that we're going to have to decide something. Always there. It seems like I'm always at a crossroads, having to make a decision. I expect you're the same. There is a crossroads that some, perhaps of you, are at now in never having decided what you're going to do about planning for eternity. There will be a night of accounting in which you and I and every person in this world will stand before God and will bow our knee before Jesus Christ. And the Lord will say, give an account. What did you do with your life? What did you do? Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.